an integrator essentially manages day-to-day issues. So I hold the organization's people, processes, priorities, systems, and strategies together, making sure that's all moving together in accord with each other. I often think of integrators as the opposite in a way of visionaries. Although you can have some either visionary tendencies if you're an integrator, or you can have some integrator types of tendencies as a visionary. Obviously, we're not all just all of one thing or all of another. But I think of a circle, and if I have a circle, and the circle is our organization, picture the integrator standing right on the edge of the circle, facing into the circle and managing everything that's happening within that circle. Hi, and welcome to the Business Alchemy Podcast. I'm Jonathan, and with me today is Beth. And last time we spent some time talking a bit about me and some of my interesting characteristics. Today, we're going to be focused more on Beth, and I get to ask some questions, and she gets to talk this time. So, Beth... I'm excited about this session and learning a bit more and giving you an opportunity to share a bit more with the viewers about who you are and, and you're part of this partnership. Can you start by sharing a little bit about your background and how did you get involved in the operational side of business? That's a really good question. I'm glad to see you again. Glad to chat with all of our viewers. As far as being in operations, it's just been a natural progression of my personality. So from a, a very early age, I definitely wanted to organize things. <clears throat> and I had more of an eye for details. So being able to take things, whether it be puzzles, problems, situations, and being able to put them in some sort of logical order was actually very satisfying to me. And so it was just a natural aptitude, aptitude to to be operational, to deal with day-to-day situations and try to solve problems. Awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Now, the term integrator is something you and I have used a lot as we've talked, and that might be unfamiliar, though, to some of our listeners. Could you explain from your perspective, what's an integrator's role and what does that mean in the context of business operations? Sure. An integrator essentially manages day-to-day issues. So I hold the organization's people, processes, priorities, systems, and strategies together, making sure that's all moving together in, in accord with each other. I often think of integrators as the opposite in a way of visionaries, although you can have some either visionary tendencies if you're an integrator or you can have some integrator types of tendencies as a visionary. Obviously, we're not all just all of one thing or all of another. But I think of a circle and if I have a circle and the circle is our organization, picture the integrator standing right on the edge of the circle, facing into the circle and managing everything that's happening within that circle. The visionary then is standing, let's say, back to back on the, with the integrator on the outside of the circle, facing outward, 
And so that visionary is looking outside of the company for ideas and clients and being that client facing uh, person and passing those ideas along to the integrator for the integrator to actually execute on a day-to-day basis. It's really a beautiful thing. And it actually, it reminds me a bit of our marriage and it's probably part of the reason it's worked so well is the fact that I think of you as the, the hunter, the, the provider in a way, standing on the outside of a circle and I'm inside the circle being the home and the household taking care of all of those day-to-day things. I really like aspects of those traditional roles just because they do really mirror the visionary integrator role. Oh, it's so true. And it, and it works well, as we've talked about on some of our other podcast episodes, when you can blend those together. Although I know we're going to talk about ways they haven't always worked so well, too, uh, which there's some interesting stories in there. But before we get there, uh, as an integrator, what are some of the key responsibilities that fall under your purview, especially from the business realm? Where, what are some of those key things that you as an integrator really take responsibility for and excel at? Everything. <laughs> so outside of the sales and bringing that sale home uh, to the business, all the execution really has fallen under my purview. So again, taking that client that then comes into our business, making sure that, that client is onboarded, that communication is open, the expectations are set, starting that process to integrate that client into our systems and our strategies and our processes, making sure that, that client really has an outstanding experience so they can become a raving fan quoting uh, Ken Blanchard, and uh, just making sure that their experience is good. That means that all of our systems within the company need to uh, uphold that so that client has a good ongoing relationship with us as well. You've got to measure things and you've got to audit things and you need to make sure that everything is going smoothly, checking the client's pulse that type of thing, just to make sure that they're happy and satisfied within the organization and what we're doing for them. No, I I could not agree more. And it's one of the reasons I think we make such good partners is those skills that you have are are things that just totally, I don't want to say confuse me, but are, are virtually impossible for me to focus on. So yeah, I think it, it works well. Uh, I know they're important. You and I talk regularly about the importance of repeatable processes and things like that, both for teams as well as for right. client services and all that. But yeah, as you well know from working with me for 20 plus years, understanding they're important and being able to do them are totally different things. <laughs> Obviously, you've worked in operations for different businesses throughout the years. Talk to us a little bit about how you've ensured the smooth execution and efficiency at in different capacities, or not really different capacities, but I guess at different businesses. Can you give us some examples of what you've done there and just things that you've worked with? Certainly. So before I really became an active part of Valor Circle, which was 
very early on in the process, but it wasn't day one. I was actually a managing editor for a publishing company. And there, again, it's very much taking all of the different aspects of the day-to-day management of ensuring that a book is executed in a timely manner according to the financial boundaries that are set in place, that it's good quality, that type of thing. I wasn't necessarily the one checking the quality. I wasn't necessarily the one that was ensuring that the creative was done correctly. I wasn't necessarily one setting the boundaries or the parameters for the finances. But when those were set and different people were doing their jobs, I need to liaison with them to come back and make sure that product was done well and was done on time and at the cost that it was supposed to be done for too. The big thing with that is communication. You can't over communicate. You need to communicate frequently, clearly, and just check again what other people's understanding of of what's going on is. So there's a lot of temperature taking as you go through and measuring just to ensure that things are on target. Project management is just a huge part of that and making sure that that projects are running smoothly. And that's a really good skill for people to have being in an integrator or being in an operational mode because you're really responsible for the literal workings of that machine and what the ultimate output of that machine is. Yeah, it's very true. Very true. The lack of clear delineation of responsibilities and oversight, I know is a contributing factor that, that causes problems in businesses a lot. Can you share some ways that maybe you've addressed some of those especially at Valor Circle, so that you made sure that everything worked? That brings up a lot about actually yours and my relationship and how we handled things because it was easy enough to communicate and to set direction and to take temperature, so to speak, of our employees with that communication and just it's a lot of meetings, but you don't want to over-meeting people either, so you have to be careful about no. those. But the real challenge came with working with you, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, just your personality and my personality, although they complement in many ways the fact that you're dominant and the fact that I'm dominant, and we both like to be right, really brought... No, hang on. I need to interrupt. I am always right. <laughs> When you agree with me, you are always right. Uh, yes. So a bit of headbutting, especially in the early years before Valor, a circle. Uh, oh, yeah. only had a, a lot of issues and a fair share of disagreements. And sometimes they weren't very pleasant disagreements. But the thing that was helpful about that is I think that both you and I have been very willing to be adaptable and flexible. And so you've really taught me a lot about your perspective on sales 
and what needs to happen in that process in order to bring a new client into the business. And I have been showing you a lot of uh, my perspective of what you need to do to keep that client happy. And it's more than just keeping the client happy. You need to ensure that the employees and your staff who is executing and making the day-to-day happen, that they're happy. Because if things get too confusing or too chaotic or you don't have good standard operating procedures in place, if you don't communicate with them well, you're always throwing them for a loop. They get very disenchanted. They get unhappy. They get bummed out. They run at 125% capacity instead of the 75 to 100 they should be at. And then you have a lot of internal problems. With that, you also then have employees leaving. And what happens when you have an employee leave? You have a big hole. And then you have to hire a new employee, train that new employee. There's additional cost, obviously, to having a new employee come in versus keeping a really good employee that's doing their job. So keeping your team happy, I think, has really influenced you in changing your approach and understanding that you can't always throw something new in just for the sake of a sale. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I've learned a lot along the way. You mentioned and referred a little bit. I don't think our audience probably is aware that you and I worked together prior to Valorous Circle as well in a different capacity. And needless to say, on many levels, that didn't work out nearly as well. Could you share a little bit about maybe some of the challenges that we ran into? I know you've alluded to some of those, but a little bit more in how they ultimately led to the failure of that business? Yeah. (laughs) So much comes to mind. Uh, We had essentially a business where we were going to be selling cars. It started off as the idea was that you would find someone who's looking for a car and then you would go find the car that they wanted. And so we didn't, weren't going to actually have like a car lot. We weren't supposed to be used car salespeople. So that wasn't the idea. It was more of a consultative situation. Unfortunately, one, I'm not a fan of cars. So engaging, I, I shouldn't have really partnered with you on that business because I wasn't interested in what we were doing at all. There just was no interest on my part whatsoever. And one of the keys of a good partnership and a good business is you have to enjoy what you're doing. You have to enjoy the subject matter. That's so crucial just to keep your spirits up and want to get up every day and go to this job that you're doing because you want to see it as something you really feel fulfilled by. So the first aspect of that was definitely that I just didn't like what we were doing. It was just, it was the pits. And then the second thing is we really didn't know what we were doing. It was a brand new idea. One of those thousands of ideas that you had that seemed like we should give it a try, but I certainly was still not as experienced as I should have been or maybe not should have been, but I just wasn't that experienced yet to be able to spot that this was a kind of a stinker of an idea. 
it seemed to have some promise, but we, I certainly wasn't into cars. I didn't know about a lot about buying cars, selling cars. You really didn't know a lot about buying cars. I remember going to the auctions. Do you remember the auctions and we'd go look at cars? Oh yeah, absolutely. Experience. I was just crazy. And then when we'd come back with these cars, they weren't always what we wanted them to be or thought they should be. And so our, also our lack of kind of experience in the field was detrimental. So not liking what we're doing, I'm doing lack of experience in the field. And then there was not a clear delineation of what you were doing and I was doing partially because we kept looking at each other's faults instead of looking at mm-hmm. strengths. And so not really knowing what our strengths were added, that was just a third component of why this wasn't going to go very well. And then it didn't go very well. We didn't know what we were doing. So we started getting in debt, which is another horrible thing to do in my mind. So don't get in debt over a business. Do things through cash flow if at all possible. And that means that when you first start a business, you might have to have another job. So have your daytime job and then your new business is your nighttime job or take a nighttime job and then do your new business in the daytime. But you have to have good income coming in. So what happened to us is then we just took on all this debt. Oh, wow. That was exhausting. The feeling of debt on one's shoulders, as many of our listeners probably can understand, it's just, it's horrible. You go to bed and you feel the weight of the world on you and you got to make these payments. And I get to make enough money to make these payments on time. And ew, it was just, it was literally hell. I just, it was not good. And so then that financial stress also caused additional stress in our relationship. So we started to fight. It really started to get angry with each other. And it just, it was a bad situation. And after a while, I actually don't remember. Do you remember how that business actually ended? I do. And I appreciate reminding me how it was supposed to start because it changed a lot. And like you said, I didn't have a lot of experience that either was definitely not as mature as I am today and hadn't had as many hard knocks. And I readily remember that, yeah, the goal was to identify people that wanted a specific car, go to the auction, find them that car, make a little bit of money in the process. How hard can it be, right? It can be that hard. But I also remember then, like you said, that quickly evolved and I take full responsibility for it. I remember you weren't happy with it evolving, but I of course couldn't see any reason not to evolve it. And so I started buying more cars because this was a good deal and this was a good deal and this was a good deal and we can sell that. And then we started finding out that most of those things that seemed like a good deal in the 30 seconds to 60 seconds you had at the auction were being sold for a reason. And then we got stuck with lemons and then we had repair costs and all that. It was a miserable experience. So I do remember. To a car lot. And then yeah, I, that, we started to do detailing and then we had to hire a mechanic. And then. Yeah, we, we had, had so that. many problems. Yeah, we hired a mechanic we and then. Create the re- wrench to make those, to fix those cars. Oh, it was. Yeah, and then being a mechanic and a a car dealership highly regulated by the state highly 
So then that added a whole other layer of, of stress. Yeah. Oh, and again, then I, we, again, we weren't making money. So my bright idea was we'll get more mechanic work and we'll hire another mechanic and do repairs. And yeah, that not my best ever decisions by any means, but to get back to your question, how did it end? I do remember that at the time through a whole lot of prayer and, and pleading with God to figure out a way to get out of this mess, somebody that I had met along the way that owned a number of oil change stations had a desire to actually buy a repair facility because they were struggling with the fact that they would have vehicles come in, they would do oil changes, they'd identify these problems, but they couldn't find any garages to work with or mechanics to work with that would pay them a finder's fee or anything like that. So he had a desire to basically buy a repair shop so that they could refer everybody to the repair shop. And he thought it was a bonus that they could sell cars because he, I think probably like a lot of guys, going to the auction was fun. And I still remember it being fun in many ways. It was, a, it was a fun experience. And that sounds like a lot of fun. If you're not familiar, getting into a car dealer auction requires a lot of paperwork too. You've got to prove who you are. You've got to prove you've got a dealer's license. You've got to identify yourself when you come in. Yeah, I do. It's not just something any of us can walk in. And we may have seen them driving by on the highway. And I'm thinking of one of them here in West Michigan that you can literally see when you drive by. But you can't just walk in there and see what goes on. So that was exciting. Um, What wasn't exciting was obviously losing a ton of money and the debt. And I remember getting causing a lot of issues with that. And I just for everybody listening, I take full responsibility for all of the stupid decisions that we made there with one possible exception that I can think of, but other than that doesn't matter. It's, they were my stupid decisions, but I think we learned a lot through that process. And ultimately the, the gentleman that owned the oil change places basically did an asset sale where he basically, he didn't buy the business because we didn't have a great business, Mm -hmm. but he came in and he basically took over our lease of the facility. He bought the equipment that we had. We bought car lifts and and all kinds of other stuff. He bought all of that and basically paid us just enough that we could pay off all the money we owed for that equipment. And then we were stuck, as you remember, with I won't get into tons of detail, but hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt for cars that we didn't make money on or had lost money on. Business loan that we took. Yeah. And things that we took to try to stay afloat and all that. Yeah. It was a disaster across the board. Tell me a little bit. Go ahead. What was the one thing? Oh, so I don't remember the specifics, but you had decided, and this was before we had our roles defined. You had decided somebody had come in to sell us some membership in some business organization. And at the time, to put context around this, we were putting money on our credit cards to buy groceries. So it's not like we had extra money to spend. We didn't. And I remember this was like 900 and some dollars a year, which doesn't sound like a lot now, but 20 years ago, that was a lot, especially when you were putting your groceries on your credit card. And I remember he, he... the rep just totally got you enamored with why it was a great idea and how it was going to bring in a ton of business. And I remember I was like at the car auction or something came back and you're very proud and you're telling me, Hey honey, I just bought this membership and it's going to do all this stuff for us. And I'm like, Oh, that you just wasted a thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. 
I oh. remember that now. Yeah. In context, that's nothing because I wasted a lot more and made a lot more bad decisions. So if, if you're watching this, no, no hate mail, please. It was the failure of the business was not best fault. It was mine. I take it entirely. But the good news is one, I'm married to an amazing woman who didn't hold that against me. And two, we use those lessons. And, and you've heard me say this before, Beth, and I think you agree. There is no such thing as a failure. There is only a win or a lesson. And we use that as a very expensive and hard fought lesson and then when we move forward to other businesses, we didn't make some of those mistakes, probably the biggest of which was we have never borrowed money for the business since or any business since then. And while that's made for some lean times, we've never had to put groceries on credit cards since then. And we've never ended up with debt we couldn't pay off. And that has been, I think, a critical factor, not only in our success, but also in keeping our marriage together and making sure that we were, we did things in a more, less emotional way. It's, it was too easy when you go borrow money that it's going down to Best Buy and finding this new TV that all of a sudden you didn't know existed and that you need, or this new computer that you, you need. I was just on Apple's site the other day and saw some new computers. I'm like, oh, that would be so awesome. And then I realized it's a $5,000 computer and my laptop, which is 40 years old, works just fine. And not happening, but it again, when you're focused on the debt side and you go, well, I've got that on my credit card, I can buy that. And I, you know me, I can justify anything uh, in my head. It's easy to justify that purchase. You know, and, oh, I'll be faster and we can make more money. Um, and so you make dumb decisions when you do that. And being cash-based, it has really made a huge difference not only in our businesses, but also just, I think, in our marriage. And it's probably been one of the things that's helped keep us together. Uh, certainly our commitment's been there, but I think that's been one of the key parts of that as we've worked together in different businesses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I definitely agree. One, I think that it's really important not to get in, into debt. If there's any way possible not to be in debt and start a business, do that because it's just it's very, it's just a huge weight and it just mm -hmm. affects your whole life in ways that you don't even realize it's going to affect. And it's like the frog in the pot. Absolutely. Up slowly, you don't realize how stressed you're getting until you're just, you're boiling to death. Mm -hmm. so definitely. That was one of the things when we said, when we started Valor Circle, we weren't going to have debt. Oh, yeah, it was one of, one of the three key things we said we were not going to do. Yep. I think the only one of the three things that we didn't change our mind on, um, that would be interesting. So tell everybody, when we started Valor Circle, you were working for the publisher, and I, I ran with that, and, and you're like, yep, try it again. You know, I know this is your dream to be an entrepreneur, and it was shortly thereafter that you joined because I realized that I was never going to be able to grow the company without your operational expertise, but... Talk a little bit to the group. What were those three goals that we had? Because two of them we kicked to the curb within just a couple years. Pretty quick. But, but one of them, the debt thing, which was really core, we've never compromised on. Uh, tell us about those three goals, would you? Sure. First of all, as we've said, we weren't going to have any debt. We were not going to put ourselves into the same situation that we were in when we had the car dealership and the mechanic shop. 
Two, we weren't going to have employees. No, just you and me, because of course they bring their own set of issues because people are human. They have drama in their life and it was just more than we wanted to handle. So we said no debt, no employees, and we weren't going to have an office. So when we started Valor Circle, we were working in the basement. And I remember the basement was partially finished and the wall that we worked against, we had a lifetime table and a couple computers. My hands, I had to wear gloves that were fingerless because it was so cold down there working in the basement. But we did end up getting an office and we did end up having employees and we have not taken on any debt. It was a good promise we made to each other and to ourselves after getting out of the debt from the previous business that we weren't going to do that again. We just did, it was too much of a, a sacrifice to take that on and too detrimental to our physical emotional, individual well-being, as well as to our marriage and our family. And again, I know one of the things I learned, and this podcast is a lot more about you, so I won't go on very long, but one of the things I learned is that being ADD and being that visionary, when I had a pool of money that I could do to make dumb decisions with, those dumb decisions got amplified. So instead of being a small, dumb decision that maybe cost us... I'm going to throw a number out of a couple thousand dollars that were within the bank account. Now that dumb decision turned into a twenty or thirty thousand dollar dumb decision because I borrowed money to do what again didn't seem dumb at the moment. Mm-hmm. But every business owner listening to this knows that not every decision you make works out the way you thought. In fact, very few of them work out quite the way you think. Now many do work out, but not always the way you think. And when you're leveraging other people's money to do that those you again you're amplifying those mistakes and yes i know i can hear people say yes but you amplify your successes too yes but unfortunately at least in my case at that point in life and i'm still not willing to say it'd be better it was far too easy to spend money on decisions that weren't well vetted and that that didn't make sense because you didn't take the time to think through them Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's speaking for myself i mean you brought a lot of that to the table. In fact, one of the next questions I want to ask you, bringing back to, to your integrator focus is, obviously, we learned that communication and understanding each of our strengths and weaknesses was really crucial. Can you tell everybody a little bit, you mentioned it briefly, but I don't know that people caught on. What did we do as a team that finally caused us to mesh in, a, in the business world? And move forward to achieve some success in business as opposed to what we did. What was that one big thing? Do you remember? You're talking about you and I? Yeah, you, you yeah, just you and I, exactly, yeah. The one big thing, we agreed of what you were going to do and what I was going to do. Yeah, that's it. Staying in each other's lanes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that made yeah. I think that made more difference in, in our business success than anything else. It was getting to that point to realize I was not an operational expert. And while I always had an opinion on it, that opinion wasn't necessarily a very good one. And I needed to trust that you were going to do a far better job there. Even if sometimes it was different than what I do, it was going to be a lot better. 
It's hard to stay in your lane, though, if you're not enjoying what you're doing. And that kind of goes oh, yeah. back to those points I made about the previous car dealership is that I didn't like what we were doing. So it was just miserable for me from the get-go. I really enjoy marketing-focused websites, and that's really the passion that I have for Valor Circle. And then beyond really enjoying that, we didn't take on the debt, which was huge. And we really tried to set and grow a culture within our uh, within Valor Circle where the 15 employees that we that I currently have now at Valor Circle, we really discourage drama. We try to fulfill them their professional growth so that they really enjoy their job. And so we pass that payback forward, if you would, making sure that our employees are happy and satisfied and that they don't make some of the mistakes that I've made in the past and that you've made in the past. And my team is just a fabulous team. I, I like to brag about them uh, a bit and just because the, the different things we've put in place, the different procedures that I've put in place and encouraged of them have really helped tone down the amount of drama in the office. There has been drama at times, but thankfully none recently. Jeremy, Ryan, Adam, I'm talking to you guys. No, no drama coming up here. Not that I expect it from them at all, but that's a huge thing. Just that employee connection, enjoying what you're doing, oh, yeah. not having debt, and really set and being a mentor to my team is really important to me to now teach them the integrator skills that I have so that I can step out of that circle and I can be the visionary and that I can bring the ideas and strategize. So I really enjoyed that too with Valor Circle and my current role within my company. And so that definitely is from years of experience and failures, quite frankly, in the partnerships you and I have had. Yeah. One of the things you've done at Valor Circle that has always impressed me a lot is you've done an amazing job of getting to understand each of the team members' strengths and weaknesses and really helping foster communication, effective communication through that team alignment. How does that play into your integrator role, that those understandings and that that communication alignment? One, and we could have a whole different podcast on this, and I would like to, is, is some of the assessments, tests, if you will, that we take to find out more about each other. And then we share that information. From there, I do a lot of one-on-one meetings with those that directly report to me. I also meet with groups, departments, types of employees. Like I, I meet with all the people on my team that are supervisors so that I can teach them, I can train them, I can pass this knowledge along so that they can start executing the same principles and policies and procedures that I have, the processes and it, it just seems to flow, but having, again, that communication, that over-communication to ensure, and I'm not even talking about clients right now, but to ensure that the staff is really 
satisfying and affirmed in what they're doing. Uh, just makes a huge difference. Allows them to stay in their lanes, me to stay in mine. I don't want to micromanage. One of the things you and I did is we tried to micromanage each other, and that mm. did not work. That was so we didn't. So you need to really trust that the other person is working in the benefit for the benefit of the company. And it's easier than to allow them to stay in their lane and for you to focus on what you should focus on. And that really happened with you and I. It took years of experience, failures, quarrels. It, it, it took a lot of work, a lot of learning individually, not just from experiences, but from outside sources as well, mentors, books, that type of thing that each of us read and and classes we would even take just oh, yeah. to how to do this better. But it really, you have to set arrogance aside and say, I am not the best I can be. I want to be better. How can I be better? And then be open and active in getting better, being a better leader, a better person, a better wife, a better mom, a better friend, a better CEO, a better implementer, a better visionary. So I really try to live my life being open to the fact that I am not perfect. I am far from perfect. And I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but how can I not repeat those mistakes? Is it Einstein that says that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting a different result? You know? I, I know the, the quote's regularly attributed to Einstein. I don't know for sure, but yeah, it's, uh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's just something to be thinking about. And uh, that's just one of the things I've loved about working with you is the fact that you've always been willing to try to do better and to do differently. And yeah, I try to do the same. So one of the things I know that I have struggled with in working with you is understanding, not that you've made it hard, but understanding how you can be an integrator that maintains and establishes processes and standards and SOPs and all that, but yet also have the adaptability to deal with a constantly changing business landscape. Can you share with our listeners just a little bit about how do you do that? Because that's beyond my comprehension, still is, even after 20 years of, of working with you and that it's still beyond my comprehension, how you manage both of those. Can you share a little bit of that as an integrator, how you do that? Sure. Networking. I learned a lot from a an agency group that I'm part of that has a mastermind and they teach me a lot. We trade information and we talk and they tell me their troubles. I tell them mine. They tell me their solutions. I tell them my solutions. But just networking with other business owners has been a huge benefit because I hear a lot about what's going on in their business. Many of them in their own individual areas, and they have, they're all marketing agencies. So I'm with all of these other marketing agency owners. They have insights and see things coming that maybe I wouldn't see right away. And then I hear about it and I, I see what they're doing about it, how, what they're anticipating. And then again, with that, I've had tons of great recommendations on books 
business books that are out there, podcasts I can listen to, just things that I can do so that I understand what's going on out there. And then, of course, there is unfortunately just the political aspect, and I'm just talking about our economy, and that changes, and it does change the way people think and the way people spend. And I see that with clients a lot. Whenever we get to an election year, I know I've pointed this out to you before, but the six months, definitely three months before a presidential election, people don't make decisions. It's like they business is hard to close. They wait till after the election. So it's interesting just how political things can affect people's buying habits. And then, like I said, elections, and then just the economy in general. So it's definitely something that you have to be abreast on and knowing what's going on in those situations. But networking is key. And I would highly recommend that people find other people like themselves that they can exchange ideas and information with. Yeah, we could do an entire another episode just on coaching and, and that and the importance sure. it's been to you and I. Yeah, it'd be great because it has been really important. I think part of what we've talked about is we talked today about some of our past business failures, my past business failures, and that it has been that quest to learn and to improve. And I, I really believe as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you're either moving forward or you're sliding back. So if you stop learning, I really feel you're starting to slide back at that point in time. And I know it's something you and I have both been very focused on is trying to continue to learn. So one of the other questions that I know comes up a lot as we talk in some of these coaching groups and masterminds, some of them I'm involved in, some I'm not, but is that collaboration between the visionary and the integrator, two very different personalities, as different as you and I are, as we're looking at the screen with you on one side and me on the other, uh, oftentimes it seems that way on a lot of issues when we look at things, because again, you're looking at it as an integrator. I'm looking at it as a visionary. How have you helped merge and create a productive partnership between those two roles? Because you've done that. Uh, I can't take any of that credit. How have you managed to pull that off? And what advice might you have for integrators or even visionaries in other companies that are struggling with that other, that counterpart that is just driving them crazy? How do they deal with that? There's a couple of different aspects there. Certainly when you and I were working together at Valorous Circle, even though I owned Valorous Circle and I was leading all of the day-to-day -day operations, you and I, as long as you are working with someone who is so opposite in the way they think and the way they execute, you're going to have abrasions. You're going to have some yeah. discourse in that. And so you really have to just except that's going to happen. Although a visionary and an integrator are very different, they still, can, one person can be both. You can't be both at the same time just because you can't, you don't have enough time to execute all of that. Mm -hmm. So right now in my current role where I am the owner and then the CEO of Valorous Circle, I really had to ease my way out of the integrator role 
and give those responsibilities to people I've trained, that I trust, that are integrator personalities themselves and go into the CEO role, that's much more of a visionary and a strategizer and being on the outside of that circle, which is definitely new territory for me. But I'm really enjoying it because I'm stretching my wings. I'm learning something new. And I do have a great support group uh, with that mastermind uh, agency that really allows me to grow. And I feel very safe doing that and making mistakes or not knowing all the answers. And so my desire just to take on this new facet and just on my own stretch my visionary wings has been really great. At the same time, I'm more introverted than I am extroverted. And so I've had to step out of my comfort zone. And being able to do that in little steps and having a support network makes all the difference in the world. So I'm really enjoying my newfound visionary role, but I've had to have a lot of support and it's taken time for me to ease into it. And part of that's just the confidence I, I have in being an integrator and the confidence I have that I can still learn something new. I'm not an old dog yet. I can do something new and it's been fabulous. But for those of you who are working as an integrator with a visionary, lots of communication, but you're going to have to accept that you're going to have rough days, that you're going to have disagreements, but try to trust each other enough to stay in your own lanes. And that will really help. Don't micromanage each other. Great advice. I know that has helped me out tremendously, both in the working relationship as well as our family relationship and all that. There's no doubt. I think as a high D visionary guy, I'm, I, of course, as I mentioned earlier, I believe I'm always right. And I'm not just thinking, I'm very confident about that. Even when I'm blatantly wrong, as you well know, to those visionaries out there, listen to what Beth just had to say, because that, that applies in reverse as well. Trust your integrator. They have skills that you don't. They see things that you don't. And embrace the fact that you can grow as a company by having a great integrator to help take your visionary ideas and make them a reality. Mm-hmm. It amplifies your superpowers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I just wanted to bring up one good memory that I have from back when we would go to the car auctions. Sure. Uh, do you remember that little uh, Pontiac? Was it a GT that I took out for a little test drive? Would that be the silver one? No, I think it was red. Oh, no, the GT. Sorry, I was thinking of a different car. That was not a good experience. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, I remember that car very well. Yeah, you want to explain why why that was not such oh, a I think you experience? should explain it from your perspective because it, it definitely was was exciting to me, but I don't think you trusted me driving that. Even today, I would, I would not enjoy that ride again. I'm sorry. I love you to death and I would trust you with anything. But yeah, so let me explain. So when you're at a car auction, you, you don't really have the opportunity to take a car on a test drive. You can take the keys are in the cars, you can drive them and all that. But in most cases, 
at least in, in the auctions that we participated at here in Michigan, driving is typically driving up and down a lane, like in a parking lot to make sure that things shift. And maybe, just maybe, there's a very short, small area where you can punch it and see if it's getting into its paces. And at the particular, pardon me, the particular auction we were at, there was one of those sections and it was at most an eighth of a mile long, no more. But in the midst of that, just so happened that there were also two large electrical poles or telephone poles planted. And that was pretty good because it really separated. They were right in the middle and they were at each end. And so everybody knew you started at one, you went down around the other and you came back on the other side. And there was just enough room for two cars as wide as a two lane road. And that's all great. And it worked out really well, except this one day that Beth decided that this Pontiac GT, which was a fabulous car, by the way, one built over it, if I'm not mistaken, over in Australia, beautiful car. I don't remember the details of it, but it was a beautiful car, had a lot of power. And I remember that you wanted to drive it and that was fine with me. And we were taking it and you went to the short eighth of a mile loop. And as you turned, it was like a, a lane you had to turn into, go around and then come back out at the same end. It was like a one ended thing. And I'll never forget you, you punched it as we went around the corner. This is a rear wheel drive car. Now guys, a real car. And as Beth punched it, my perception may not have been reality because I wasn't driving. I was in the passenger seat, but was that Beth did a fabulous job of kicking the back end of the car out, enjoying the drift around the corner. But she didn't seem as we were going around the corner to be noticing this telephone pole in the middle of the road. I did get it. No. And she claimed at the moment she saw it and had everything under control. It, everything was fine. But yeah, I, I don't have such fond memories because I was convinced that not only we were going to hit the telephone pole, but I was going to then have to buy a damaged car at full retail. It was just, yeah, the, all those things went through my head literally in a matter of a half a second as I can just see this beautiful red Pontiac GT who is being fishtailed out, getting damaged. And Beth was grinning from ear to ear, having fun. I should have been a race car driver. They say still waters run deep. So I might not like to sell cars, but I love to drive fast cars. Yes. One of these days we'll take you out to Vegas to uh, one of those uh, supercar experiences and uh, I'll go watch. <laughs> you won't be in the passenger seat this time. No, I don't think so. Not at all. Not at all. Well, thanks for awesome. me today. Absolutely. Thank you as well. I think this has been a great conversation. Look forward to the next time. And thank you if you've spent time with us listening today. I hope that us sharing some of our stories, the good, the bad, and the different, help you in your entrepreneurial quests and in your partnerships as well. And with that, make it a great day, everybody. We'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.